This is the first moments of Coffee Minds first podcast. Coffee signs for coffeepreneurs, as it's called. And um, I've spent a week in a summer house here with Corona um, and also a part phase, uh, um, what's it called, paralysis. Uh, lots of weird things has happened, but I've had a lot of time and I've had a lot of time to work and think. And one of the things that are uh, really important these days in Coffee Mind is that we we need to be better at communicating. We need to be better at reaching our audience um, through all sorts of channels. And the podcast format was uh, suggested by my sister some months ago, and I had no idea that that would be something I wanted to do one day. Um, but I understood more and more the value of this podcast format, being a, a, um, a listener myself to many podcasts for, for a few years now. So um, um, we've also seen that some of our uh, students has requested this, particularly my good student and friend, Paul, from uh, Paris. And um, this podcast format, um, I've been thinking a lot about uh, why and what we wanted to, to provide. And um, I've, um, I've written a lot uh, about what I want to say. So... Um, in this podcast, I'll tell you about my thoughts about uh, Coffee Minds uh, podcast, and I also have a few origin stories. And um, the first origin story is my personal why and my personal uh, journey as an entrepreneur, which I think is uh, essential to uh, be open about because entrepreneurs are a special breed. Uh, and why don't I just share my version of this? And then I also have another origin story of my specific and simplified scientific framework for coffee roasting, because that's also a kind of hallmark of Coffee Mind. So first, um, I've heard that the podcast format is a nice way for you to hang out with people who already are in your community. And so it's, it, this is not an attempt to get more followers or a bigger community. This is uh, um, uh, an attempt to uh, keep a better connections for those of, of you who's already been through our uh, training. Um, and of course, we want to uh, keep on providing value and keep on supporting you getting a better life as a coffeepreneur. And this podcast format um, seems like a great way of doing that. So let's hang out. Um, and um, so... Why start a podcast? So we want to educate our community to a deeper level of why and how to become a better coffee roaster. And um, so that we want to educate um, coffee roasters to be better at deciding where to spend their time, effort and focus so that they can better control um, what's going on in the organization and particularly in the roaster and also um, uh, increase your personal uh, skills in sensory evaluation because that's the other leg that you're standing on as a coffee roaster. And it's very important to have some really simple, specific, useful and actionable models for how to control the roaster and how to do product development and quality control because if it's just one big endless never-ending 
uh, task to even understand what coffee roasting is, then you don't have any time for all the other things you need to have time for as a coffeepreneur. So we, we try to make this a winnable game, and that's where the simplicity comes in. So we really hope with this podcast series to be able to provide you with models for how to get things done so that you have time to everything you need to have time for as a coffeepreneur. So... We expect people who listen to this podcast to already be Coffee Mind uh, followers uh, who wants to get the longer story and also some behind the scenes, such as now it doesn't get much behind the scenes than <laughs> being in the summer house uh, with me during my corona um, uh, uh, quarantine. Um, and also uh, we expect that it, it's, it's you who um, want uh, set out time for the longer uh, story. Um, you already have some uh, knowledge of the basic concepts of uh, coffee roasting uh, and, and, and sensory evaluation. And I've tried to kind of understand what is it that make me as the founder of Coffee Mind connect particularly well with roastery startups uh, because that's a synergy. We're, Coffee Mind is not a roastery startup. So what is it that makes us connect anyway? What is it that we have in common? And uh, I've, I've written this uh, kind of uh, phrase uh, that I really think resonates between me and uh, the audience. And uh, we take responsibility for creating a technically founded social aesthetic experience. So... Coffeepreneurs, as I, as I call us... Um, is people who take responsibility for understanding the technical requirements to create a social aesthetic experience. And the reason why this resonates is that every time I speak with people, they, they have some kind of social aesthetic experience that has just caught their soul in a way that they want to take responsibility to create their own version of this. And I clearly remember my own um, uh, first experience here and that was in 2001 where I was hanging out with my good friend Sebastian um, at Emery's in Aarhus um, where I tasted my first specialty coffee that was just mind-blowingly good. So that was the aesthetic experience but it was together with Sebastian at a point in my life where I just discovered meditation psychology and me meditation philosophy, and I started uh, studying that at the university in Copenhagen. So we were really discussing these uh, favorite subjects in a friendly environment with people at the highest level. So for me, combining that kind of subject and, and experience where the coffee was kind of supporting the whole aesthetics of that social environment was just for me... Um, kind of my epiphany of, of, of uh, having an experience that I really cherished that I, for some reason, want to keep on carrying out in my life. Um, and, but for me, the whole technical part of it um, is also important because I'm uh, pretty technically inclined as are typical coffeepreneurs. It's people who really have uh, technical talent and interest. So uh, for me, that kind of epiphany was that 
I was standing in my student mall uh, brewing this mocha pot, um, uh, this eight um, uh, etched uh, thing you put on your stove. And um, I noticed that while uh, tasting drop, uh, drop for drop when this was brewing, each drop tasted very differently. And with my uh, background in biology, um, I very quickly um, uh, kind of, it, it, it occurred to me that I was able to explain this. It was, uh, it's a very known thing called chromatography uh, that is very used in, in, um, in biotechnology uh, and used a lot in uh, food science and, and uh, uh, to separate. It's just like kind of separating a complex uh, material into individual molecules. And that's what's done during brewing. And, and it was such an amazing experience for me to be able to very clearly explain something with my technical scientific background that was relevant for my new coffee interest. And um, that led to me doing a, a project where I uh, took on explaining this uh, for baristas um, with no scientific background. And that was actually my, the starting of my career. So coupling my scientific technical understanding of uh, organic materials Coupling that with my ability to recreate a social aesthetic experience, that was kind of my uh, small uh, seed here uh, for getting into the, to the coffee business. And then the whole taking responsibility part, that's a very important trait of coffee people. So um, running a business uh, where you really have a compelling vision uh, and really make an effort in a lot of different areas with, uh, outside your comfort zone, your competences, and even outside your talents and outside your ed educational background, where you really feel like a beginner and dare to be ridiculed in the sake of the bigger compelling vision that you have for yourself and others by creating this social uh, aesthetic experience. So even though uh, taking responsibility it means that you are you, you, you just... Uh, go in the direction uh, where you don't have the competencies and uh, the, the background yet, but because you really want to go there and you want to bring others in the same direction. You create a company and then you just trust that you'll find your way while doing it. And it's, it's, not, it's not normal for people to do, to be honest. Uh, so uh, the whole taking responsibility uh, is also a common trait um, in uh, for the coffeepreneurs that I love to work with. And um, it's also something, a trait that I've noticed for myself. That's why Coffee Mind is still going, even though it wasn't a lucrative and good idea from the beginning. And really, it still isn't. Um, but that's not the important point. It will be because I'll just keep on doing it. Um, so that was a bit about the the background of um, the podcast and um, the, the, a bit about how I see the audience for this, po this podcast. And um, this leads me to the... Uh, I, I want to go a bit deeper because I could just keep on talking. Uh, from now on, I could start talking about science and all the projects we've done and all the breakthroughs we've had and how much we kind of normally are able to uh, see through things um, from a scientific uh, perspective that people are not in the business. So 
more like telling the what is perceived like the success story of Coffee Mind. But um, since this is a podcast format, and since you want to get a bit deeper in 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 why Coffee Mind is structured as it is, and um, as you might know uh, from startup theory, I don't know if you've heard it before, but a company is typically structured. Uh, organizational-wise and purpose-wise derived from the founder's psychology. So uh, the founder's psychology becomes the company culture um, when it scales. Um, And um, since this is a a format where, where, um, uh, where we are hanging out and you are uh, uh, you've got time for the longer story. Why don't I just tell you my honest background for being a coffeepreneur myself? And um, I call this story from academic to entrepreneur because that's not the same. Um, so the question is, how did I come an entrepreneur and just not an academic? Um, and I'm saying this because coffeepreneurs are a bit special. As I said, um, coffeepreneurs and entrepreneurs take responsibility outside what can be expected of an, uh, um, uh, an individual. Um, but there's also an, a small element of crazy. And that's good and bad. Um, it's just a trait, uh, which is, uh, I think, great um, because I prefer adventure to safety. And that's a trait for uh, entrepreneurs. So often we'll engage in high risk uh, projects uh, that just involves a lot of work that we just keep on doing. Um, And (laughs) uh, it takes a bit of crazy to do that. Um, And because starting a business or doing something new is not is it's not a good idea in the sense that a good idea is something that's easy and something that is doable uh, by anyone. Um, it's only a good idea if you're willing to put in a lot and lot and lot and lot of work. I remember my my mother; she is a musician, and uh, it's not a good idea to be a mus- musician. It can go wrong in so many ways. And she said, "It's only you should only become a musician if you cannot not do it." And I think it's the same with entrepreneurship. It's not a good idea. It's not a good advice to become an entrepreneur. It's only a good idea if you cannot not do it. And um, I've been working with Coffee Mind with our focus on science, and, and we've been working with a lot of different clients, and we've done quite a lot of industrial projects over the years. And most often, I don't enjoy them that much. And, and this is something that's becoming more and more clear for me, that I don't, and also why I don't. And it's very important, and this is also advi- an advice that I take back to my own uh, uh, clients. It's very important that when you build a business, that you base the business model upon a customer segment inhabited by people you genuinely want to spend time with. Because otherwise it's not scalable. You need to directly like the people that you work with. You are typically spending more time with these guys and girls um, uh, than you do your family and friends. So it's a really good idea to make sure that out of all the possible customer segments at the end of your products that you choose and attract the ones that you 
genuinely enjoy spontaneously to spend time with. It's a huge difference uh, uh, on how your legs, are they jumping out of bed in the morning or do you need to drag your legs out of the bed in the morning? So that's a very important point. Um, and um, yeah, so, so for us, uh, we found out that coffeepreneurs, small startups growing bigger, that's exactly the people that we love to spend time with. Um, and that's also why, of course, the postcard is not how to uh, systematize your industrial something or how to manage uh, your industrial. This is about startups who might grow big. A startup is still a startup if it's 10, 15 people employed. Uh, it's still a small business. Um, so that's our core audience. And that's why we want to make a podcast because we want to hang out uh, personally. So my story of becoming a, a, an, from an academic to a, a, a coffeepreneur. So my backstory is, is that uh, my father was a high school teacher um, uh, and he had uh, math and physics uh, as his uh, subjects. And, um, and I naturally found that interesting. And, um, and that was something that he uh, uh, spent time uh, teaching me about and talking about. And particularly, he loved the whole classical physics and uh, relativity theory and quantum physics. And that was something that I was also very interested in and something that we kind of had together as a, as a, um, uh, as a, as a, as a hobby. <laughs> um, so I naturally also in high school uh, chose math and physics um, as the, the things that I uh, naturally found most interesting. Um, And um, then when I uh, went to university, I, um, I chose biology because biology was still a natural science, but it was an, on a bigger and com more complex systems. And um, when, I, uh, when I went to high school, I wasn't that diligent. I was there, I passed, I got mediocre grades. Um, and when I started at university, I really wanted to show myself that I was skilled. So uh, it was a bit late that I kind of started to uh, concentrate on school. But um, at the university, I really went for it um, and found it fascinating. So I really wanted to be a skilled scientist. Um, and, uh, and I really wanted to show, my, uh, show myself that it was possible for me. So... Um, So my intense uh, efforts uh, to all of a sudden be a straight A student left me uh, completely empty inside, which was the opposite of what I expected. So um, uh, it was a weird time because I was fascinated and I really went for it. And then one day I just got a complete an anxiety attack. Um, and um, I just instantly or uh, from one day to another just felt that I was completely uh, insane um, uh, not because I made uh, did uh, strange uh, stuff but I was just uh, everything fell apart um, and I had no idea how I was uh, how I got there that fast and I had no idea how to get back I simply didn't have the tools to handle this situation and um, And it just felt too late, uh, and I didn't know where to go. And for a full year, I was in this state where with the ultimate anxiety uh, was that 
that the only solution was to take my own life. And, um, and that was my ultimate um, anxiety that I kind of uh, came to that conclusion. So it was a daily um, catastrophe just uh, being uh, in this world. And um, one of the things that I really worried about was that I was a man of science and, um, uh, and I knew a lot of bi- bi- uh, biochemistry and I respected the, the whole scientific tradition. And uh, I shouldn't read a lot about um, a psychiatry before I could see that there was an endogenous and an exogenous uh, reason for depression and anxiety. And there wasn't really any traumatic uh, things in uh, my environment that would explain this. So it must be endogenic. And that means that only medicine can treat it. And I was just terrified about the idea of either um, uh, ending my own life or um, uh, being what I considered, and I'm sure this is not true for people who use medication, but in in my model of the the world, if I had to numb myself with medication, that wasn't a a life worth living. So um, I kind of was completely um, uh, lost uh, in uh, in this situation. Uh, in my early 20s um, and then uh, luckily I was um, in the Danish system you kind of get a salary for uh, studying and I had a place to live so I had some time to really try something else than medication and um, I thought I had no idea what meditation was but I had to kind of try something so I went to the library and um, found that the the whole language uh, of of, of, uh, people writing about meditation kind of made sense. I I started to believe that that uh, that this was actually a a possible way uh, way out and um, so I went to some uh, meditation and yoga classes and and got some experiences uh, but but it was so bad that I had to have a severe intervention. So luckily I had the courage to go to a 14-day yoga retreat. Um, and um, the first time I got the experience of being the observer of my own mind and not being my own mind or being my own uh, personality, uh, I, I clearly remember that I was convinced that this, this is real. This is not just wishful thinking, and this is not just some fancy theory about positive thinking or meditation uh, techniques are real. And also the yoga uh, was able to kind of spread all the anxiety around my body so that I could go from a complete anxiety attack to calm in, in, in two hours. It takes time. It's really uncomfortable. It's really looking at the pain straight on and not straying from looking it in the eyes. And if you just keep on looking at the monster, eventually it turns into your friend. And, um, and this, is, this is not just uh, something that happens in a few minutes. It takes hours and hours of effort of staying in the pain uh, so don't think that I'm kind of telling you that this is an easy or quick fix, but it's a fix on the lo- in the long run, for me at least. So what I realized is that my personality is just a series of habits and they can, they can die without my body having to follow. And that was really a big epiphany for me during that yoga retreat, 
that it's okay to imagine that you have to die, but you don't have to take your body with you. You can, uh, you can just let your personality die. All the habits and, and, and things, uh, habitual ways of, of, of thinking of yourself and dealing with situations, those can die, you can keep your body, and you can kind of build up something new. So suicide was no longer considered a solution because I kind of uh, detangled it uh, in my new model of, of my personality could die without my body. And that was really a very specific uh, positive outcome of that yoga trip. Um, so, yeah, and, and then I returned with some, some tools uh, that I could really use. Um, so, but it took months still, even after that retreat, it was just uh, tools for me to, uh, to kind of um, um, uh, start to handle my life. And all of a sudden, um, I could see, now I could see how I could build my life before I couldn't. So this was a huge thing that all of a sudden I could see into the, to the future and look forward to it and trust that I could shape it according to what was most important for me. Um, and if something really bad happened inside, I could just kind of isolate myself for two hours, do yoga, and then eventually it was like taking a pill and I was fine after those two hours. So um, I changed at the university my major to philosophy and pursued the subject of med meditation, philosophy and psychology, particularly from a Buddhist tradition. And then I stitched that into the Western philosophical and scientific tradition, um, where I was lucky enough to find something called Mind Life Institute, which was a um, institute between Western cognitive scientists uh, and neuroscientists and um, a Tibetan Buddhist um, uh, who were meeting every uh, two years at a conference discussing the nature of consciousness and uh, medical implications of meditation and all that, which is now a big research uh, field. And I went deeply into understanding all that in my thesis. Um, and um, this, uh, this I, I kind of found out that what I had experienced, the whys and hows of how my anxiety and depression was kind of alleviated and eventually solved by myself, um, was uh, that was something that uh, was well documented uh, from a medical perspective. So, and it was very important for me to kind of get that that world view. So. Um, the result was that I was able to live a normal life, free of anxiety and fear of the future. And, um, and, uh, but one of the most important things, and the reason why I, I, I tell this story to, to, to you at all, is that I think it's, it's, it, 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 this is where I developed my traits as an entrepreneur. Because um, entrepreneurs, when they... When they see something is possible, something they really want, something they are passionate about, they are, pa they are patient and they are diligent and they know that it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of small actions that eventually will add up to a big result if pursued daily. So for me, 
And this is also what I've dreamt about, about Coffee Mind, how we are able to make a difference in the world with science uh, and sensory um, uh, methodology uh, to support um, um, uh, uh, roasting practices. That was a dream uh, many years ago that was, wasn't a good idea because it was a lot of work and it uh, wasn't necessarily well rewarded, but... Um, the fact that you see uh, some gold in the horizon and just decide that you'll go for it, even though you don't know how and, uh, and don't have the background, talent, um, education, but you'll just do it anyway. That's what people uh, like you uh, do with your business. And that's what I did the first time when I wanted to get out of anxiety and depression and finding a life that I that was worth living. And, and that's what uh, entrepreneurs often do. They don't like that job. They don't find it. They, they kind of, it doesn't make them happy. The circumstances doesn't make them happy. So they take the responsibility of taking on risks and a lot of work in order to make the world a better place. That's basically what, what we are doing as coffeepreneurs. And this is why I think my personal story is something I want to share with you because I think it, it, there are some similarities that is the reason that we are brought together to work together on your businesses. And I do feel qualified to help you because I've tried it in so many different ways, not that I'm a master and not that I'm perfect at project management or anything, but we just have something in common that makes me enjoying and willing to help you with your uh, stitching together your dream. And um, that was my um, personal entrepreneurial origin story. And that's so that's the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial level of what I'm doing that I haven't talked about or told anybody about before really, except my closest friends. Um, so I also want to tell you a bit more like a technical uh, origin story that would have been the only story if I didn't wanted to also take it a, a level deeper. So... My background as a, a coffee roaster and, and really the origin story of my recent roast profile design basics e-learning course that, I've, uh, that I'll, I'll publish here in, 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 in December, which is a very short and very precise model of what I think coffee roasting is that I really hope will be a huge um, uh, help uh, for the community um, for beginners at, and, and advanced people. So it's a really simple but precise and correct model of coffee roasting. And I want to, I, I kind of thought about where does this come from? And this origin story then appeared for me. So I was a student of biology and philosophy with no background in coffee roasting nor sensory evaluation at all. If you are not in the coffee business at all right now, this version of me is you. So at that point, I had no idea about coffee roasting nor sensory evaluation when I studied uh, at the university. 
But as I mentioned, I did a project in explaining the chemistry of espresso brewing for baristas, which is non-scientists. And I used something called Macromedia Flash. It's now Adobe Animate. Um, and uh, where I made some small cartoons explaining um, organic chemistry, water chemistry, and then uh, how that interacted uh, during uh, espresso brewing. Um, and this became, uh, luckily it was a university project where I had to present it for an audience, for baristas, and luckily I found some uh, good friends at that time around Cafe Europa who were uh, competing at the World Barista Championships, uh, and uh, uh, they really liked the project and, uh, and uh, introduced me for the whole specialty coffee scene. Um, so... Uh, at that point, I really wanted uh, to get out and get a normal job because I did my master's thesis about uh, um, yeah, dialogue between um, Western cognitive science and, and, uh, and uh, Tibetan Buddhism, which was amazing. I loved it. Um, but I also longed for just having a normal job. And um, given my uh, permission to, uh, to allow myself to pursue what I wanted, it had to be fun, obviously. Uh, coffeepreneurs uh, are willing to fight for their right to have fun and meaning in their life. So uh, I really wanted also to, um, uh, to have fun with coffee after what I experienced. So it was um, amazing that I uh, was offered a job at Contra Coffee, which was a newly founded coffee roastery at the time. Um, uh, because then I could keep uh, contact to coffee. And what I was really curious about was I, I had this epiphany of how to explain something very fundamental from a scientific uh, point of view to an audience who had a lot of practical experience but no scientific background. And, and I had this epiphany of how I can use my insights in science to explain them something that's really useful and actionable for them to improve the quality in their daily lives. Um, so uh, that's why I really wanted to say yes to this coffee roasting job, even though I had no idea how to roast coffee. I'd never done it before. Um, so um, I was employed at Construct Coffee. A week after I handed in my thesis, I was roasting coffee. And Kurt luckily just told me how to follow his recipes on the ProWet L12. Um, and um, I was in a new situation and I had to learn there was a lot of frustrations in the beginning. And um, one thing was that I couldn't find the information anywhere that I wanted. I wanted to understand the science of roasting. I wanted to understand also the practical aspects of it. And it felt like I couldn't find anything around, uh, in science. And what I found in magazine and blog post was really anecdotal and for sure not scientific, uh, uh, scientifically based. Um, so I felt very uh, kind of alone and had to kind of fumble around <laughs> with, with stuff. Um, and for those of you who have been trying to roast on an L12, uh, it's, it's really, I hope I don't offend anybody, but it's, it's the worst roast I ever made uh, in the history of coffee roasting. It's thermostat regulated, so you cannot modulate the flame. It kind of assumes that you want the flame to go uh, high uh, at a certain point and then just go down and you can't really uh, adjust where. So what I did was I was trying to 
kind of jiggle the on-off button to modulate the flame. So that was just a really frustrating way of, of, of working. And I just felt um, that I wasn't in control and it was also way too slow. I remember I, we got first crack in 11 and a half minutes, even at full flame. And I, if I wanted to go faster, there was no way of doing it. And, and then, um, but I, that, that's what we had. And I just followed uh, the protocols. Then after a year, we got a new roaster, an old GN30, beautiful machine, but nobody knew how to operate it. So I had to kind of, ah, we had some uh, products that I needed to create on this new machine. And um, uh, I just had to kind of come up with a way of, of, of uh, replicating it. And I kind of thought uh, with my basic understanding of, of, of chemical transformation that it must be if I match the color and I make sure the timing is the same, it must be the same. And um, I did it and it worked um, so, and people were happy about uh, my result. And I can tell you that was when I became a coffee roaster because I solved it with my skills uh, and my background uh, in, in science. It wasn't because I understood the chemistry. It wasn't that I had a very advanced understanding on anything. It was a basic understanding of um, <laughs> a amount of energy, the relationship between accumulated en energy, which is uh, color, and that there's a timing aspect of that transformation uh, or of that energy transfer. So it was more like my intuition of the really basic stuff rather than anything advanced. So after two years as a production manager at Contra, I decided to pursue my dream of working with my passion and interest, and uh, I became a freelancer. And also this kind of risk uh, behavior is very specific for us coffeepreneurs. I was bored after two years. I loved the two years, but after two years, <laughs> I think it's um, a bit, again, connected to the whole uh, life has to be meaningful and uh, exciting uh, as a coffeepreneur. And then we are just willing to take risks and do stupid things to have fun, basically. So I, um, I uh, jumped out as a freelancer and I got a part-time uh, job at the uh, medical department uh, at, the, at the university, teaching research design and statistics for medical students in their later period of their education. So basically, I taught them how to read scientific articles, see what design was behind, what kind of statistical numbers, and how to interpret it, and so on. And I did that for five years, loved it, but that was only part-time. Then I also uh, uh, managed Contra's um, uh, Barista Academy, but that was the only perspective I had but after uh, I told our green coffee supplier, McKenzie, the coffee hunters, about uh, that I wanted to become a freelancer, the CEO, Stephen Hurst, reached out to me regarding challenges with a client uh, who didn't roast the coffee good enough, uh, according to him. Um, so uh, he asked me uh, if I wanted to help him out. Sure enough, I wanted. I had a lot of time. I was a freelancer. So... Um, I jumped on a plane to South Korea, and um, when I came, we went for a dinner on the first evening. And um, when we spoke, it was three lovely people, obviously, everybody in South Korea are amazing. And I've been there a lot, so I know what I'm talking about. Um, but 
the Roastmaster had, it, it, it appeared that he had five years of experience, where I, at that point, had two years of experience. And he said that he copped each and every batch that he roasted. And uh, the copying thing was something that we did frequently. So he had five years of solid experience. I had two. He's been copying much more than me. So I was just feeling completely uh, the wrong guy at the wrong place. And, and now that I was there and tomorrow morning they expected results. So I went back to the hotel that evening. Luckily that was day in the UK. And I told Stephen, Stephen, I, I, these guys, got much, they've got much more experience than I have. I've uh, been roasting for five years, I've only two and all that. And Stephen just laughed and said, don't worry, you can help them. And uh, sure enough, uh, next day, I realized that, uh, that I could very quickly see what they did wrong. And uh, I could very quickly explain on some slides with the macromedia technology uh, uh, the best practices that they should follow. Um, and then I understood that my background in science uh, with solid methodology and, and really understanding the, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the simplicity um, of, of what's going on, um, that's way better than years of experience without critical thinking. Uh, so the very effective redu uh, reductionist approach. Um, you, uh, as a scientist, you always try to reduce uh, a complex system to the few parameters that controls most of the system's dynamics anyway. You're not interested in, in things if it's not a major um, uh, factor in, in how the system works. Um, so, I just had a very simple model of understanding the, uh, that, the, that there was kind of the overall color and then there's the overall speed, that's the two things. And then there's a crucial point uh, that kind of uh, divides uh, the timing, uh, which is the first crack, um, the time before and after. So um, if you kind of just take that to heart, you can really um, uh, 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 solve a lot of problems uh, if people don't have this uh, simple understanding. Um, yeah, so when I came back, um, I could start teaching uh, and uh, at a London School of Coffee, they really wanted to uh, teach uh, coffee roasting, so I was there. And first it was one day, two days, three days, uh, and later I was um, uh, invited to create SCA's uh, three-level system. Um, and um, and uh, so I've been really been training a, uh, training a lot of people uh, since 2007, where all this started. I've been training more than 1,500 students in small groups of six to eight um, uh, over the years. Uh, but an another important um, uh, element of the framework that 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 I've developed in 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 the roast uh, roast profile design basics program is this three flame settings. It's a constraint for you to get to know your roaster. It's not that I recommend only three flame settings in general, but for the purpose of understanding your roaster, three flame settings is kind of a, a nice constraint. Um, and, and there's a bit of background for that. And that's because at London School of Coffee, they had some Diedrich HR1 uh, and also Coffee Tech's FZ94. Uh, 
they had a London School of Coffee. I also had that at uh, Coffee Mind Academy in Copenhagen. And these two roasters, the Dietrich HR1 and Coffee Tech, uh, Tech uh, FZ94, uh, they only have three uh, flame settings. So I've been working with thousands of students, or hundreds of students, um, who only had these three flame settings and needed to solve a lot of roast profile challenges. Um, uh, the, for example, the SCA exam, uh, exams. Um, and they never really had a problem doing that because with three flame settings, that's typically enough to create almost any roast profile you can imagine because more complexity than that is not really needed and it's typically a sub-sensory threshold anyway. So I, I have a lot of experience working on systems where you're constrained to three flame settings and that's absolutely no problem. Um, so that's, that's another important element of the simplicity of the approach that I have to coffee roasting. As I said, I, I have profi profiles with more than three flame settings, but it's surprisingly um, uh, easy to create whatever with only those uh, constraints. And since 2014, I've been doing scientific research with the sensory evaluation to, to support the simplicity of this framework and uh, really only accept um, concept in the coffee roasting process if it shows up as a relevant uh, concept in the sensory data. Otherwise, it's just left out. And um, basically, uh, we've done four scientific articles uh, based on eight research projects. And the simplistic approach is Color is affecting 80% of the possible modulation of any green coffee. Time from first crack, so development time, is affecting approximately 15% of the possible modulation. And time to first crack, only 5%. 5% is something that can be uh, detected by really skilled coppers, but it's a really small um, aspect of the, the flavor. Uh, so I'm not saying it's not there for expert covers, but it's nothing compared to the uh, later aspects such as color and development time from a product uh, uh, development perspective and quality control perspective. So um, basically um, this very reductionist and simple framework makes it very quick to make a huge impact for many clients. And uh, it's also easier for you as a coffeepreneur to focus on only thing, the things that matters and forget about the rest because you've got so much else your time and attention is needed for when your organization is also going to be a success across all what that takes. Um, yeah. So... Um, I've been this in this game for many years, education-wise, research-wise, and uh, that's why I'm so excited about my latest um, simple approach, uh, which is a, a short e-learning system I've, uh, a program that I've made that's called Roasting Roast Profile Design Basics that people can get for 30 euros. So that's really the essence of how I'm thinking that is incorporated in that uh, short e-learning program um, that I created uh, some, some weeks ago. 
Um, and um, this is where I kind of uh, announce uh, what I call the poem of the coffee roaster, um, which is, is a small exercise really to, um, for you to specifically get to know your roaster. And the short version is that the constraints are that with three flame settings only, but three flame settings, neither less nor more, Get first crack in nine minutes, three minute development time to Actron 75, which is the midway point temperature wise between first and second crack. If you solve that riddle on your particular machine, you have a picture of the speed of the machine in the beginning, middle and end um, that shows the relationship between the flame size and bat size in the beginning, middle and end, and how to kind of find the center of your tennis court so that you can go fast and slow, both when it comes to uh, time to first crack and development time, and you can go light and dark. With this simple model, you can create whatever rose profiles, and then you can add a bit of complexity later if you want, but if you don't have a simple starting point, you don't have control and you don't understand your roaster. So that's a new approach to coffee roasting that we are announcing soon. Um, yeah, and it basically it makes coffee roasting a winnable game so you can focus on all the other things of, um, uh, of your life as a coffeepreneur. So this was the first uh, podcast um, uh, in this um, uh, yeah, our new podcast series. And I wanted this uh, podcast to be personal and, um, and relevant for the audience that we, are, that we are seeking out. So if you found this boring and irrelevant, it just shows that you are not in our core audience. And if you can relate to what I said about this uh, social aesthetic experience, taking uh, responsibility and taking a bit crazy risks, um, then you are in our core audience and then we'll do what we can to fill this podcast with a lot of tips and tricks to get your uh, life under control and get the results uh, that is needed for you to have a great organization that you love to wake up to every day filled with customers who just love to do uh, to be with you and uh, and uh, and uh, learn from you so um this um, uh, first podcast, I've told that the, the first one is always the worst, so I might as well just do something crazy, which is what I think I've done. Um, and I look forward to seeing you and hearing your comments and uh, connect with you uh, um, in podcast comments or emails or hopefully also in uh, physical uh, conferences Um I'll be in, uh, in uh, Poland at World of Coffee and also in Dubai um, uh, in January. So hopefully I'll meet some of you and we can take up uh, this discussion when, uh, when, we, when we talk next.